just a word of encouragement. The days start getting shorter, starting today. I'm sure you're glad to hear that. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And the title of the message this morning is, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What to Do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 16 to start with this morning. Um, Paul, they came to, he and Silas came to Lystra and Derbe. They picked up Timothy, Pastor Timothy along the way. And um, in verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Before we continue, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get underway in full swing here. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here and to, to uh, hear from your word, Father, and uh, to hear what you have for us. And, and Lord, we just uh, thank you for who you are and the great and mighty God that, uh, that we have the privilege of knowing through Jesus Christ. And we just commit this all to, to you in his name. Amen. So verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Um, verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, this is unusual, an unusual occurrence for Paul. Paul, as you know, was um, a very forthright man. Uh, he was accustomed to being on his way and on the journeys that the Lord had assigned. And all of a sudden, he's run into a roadblock. When they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia. And, uh, but the Spirit did not permit them, so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Um, I wanted to get back to verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, when you see Asia in your Bible, um, we're not talking about that huge continent that we know of today with Russia and China and India. Anybody know what we're taught, what the Bible is referring to here? Turkey, which, was also, which is known as Asia what? Asia Minor. Yep. And um, so this is the territory. And of course, if you look in the maps in the back of your Bible, you'll see that that's where Paul uh, traveled uh, on his missionary journeys. Uh, he was, spent a lot of time there. That's where all these places were. So, when it says that he was, uh, the, the Holy Spirit forbade him to preach the word in Asia, he intended to, he was in western Turkey, modern day Turkey, and he intended to turn eastward, uh, kind of northeastward, 
and go into a territory that he hadn't been before. And the Holy Spirit did not permit them. So, verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't permit them. So that was another town, another city, and the Spirit did not allow that either. You have to imagine that Paul is perplexed. And he doesn't know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, Paul sets a very good example here. He just stays put. He just stays put. Because he knows that the Lord has a plan. He knows that, uh, that, that there, he, he may, this is may, what he may want Paul to be doing at the moment is just stop, just stop for a moment. But he's, uh, he's certainly not accustomed to not having directions as to where to go next. But he stays put, which is the proper thing to do. And sure enough, in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So he hung out all the rest of that day, and now it's night. And a vision appeared in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Have you ever not known what to do and either a person will come across your path or a thought will enter your mind, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit will prompt you somehow, and you just know it's, it's of God? you ever had that happen? You just know it's of God, but you may have to wait. And that's what Paul had to do here. Not very long. He just had to wait till that night. But uh, he was certain that this is what God wanted them to do. Um, so... Verse 11, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. So now he's on his way again, and um, this never happened to him that I know of, uh, at least that Scripture records, never happened to him again, never before and never since. So Paul did the right thing. He didn't panic. He didn't try going in a still another direction. Twice was enough. The Holy Spirit stopped him. And he just stayed put. So that's very good, a very good thing to do when you don't know what to do, is to just stay put. And you'll, you'll get further instructions. They'll come. Now, turn with me to uh, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And this is a very familiar story to most of us. It concerns Gideon and the battle that he was about to engage in with a formidable army. And we'll pick it up in verse 33. Judges chapter 6, verse 33 says, Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. 
But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered around behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers, messengers to Asherah, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet, him, meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Now, God has already told him about this, previous to this. But it's been a long time, and, and uh, Gideon has been kind of off track with this, and it's been a while. So now here it is, this formidable, formidable army is coming against him, and he wants to be certain that the Lord wants him to go, go ahead with this. So in other words, he wants to know what to do. So verse 36, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. You know, when God does something, he does it decisively. You know, Gideon didn't get just a couple of drops when he squeezed that. He had a, got a bowl full of water. Uh, it reminds me of Luke chapter 5, I believe it is, where when uh, Peter is out fishing all night and they caught nothing, and when the Lord shows up, he tells them to launch out into the deep, and they caught so many fish that the boats were sinking. There were two boats and they were sinking. So it wasn't like they were out during the night and caught a half a dozen fish and then the Lord shows up and, then, and now it's 50. It goes from nothing to more than everything that they could possibly handle. That's the way, way the Lord seems to do it. There's no question uh, of, of what the Lord's doing, no question of his will. So he squeezes out a bowl full of water. Verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now Gideon says uh, in verse 39, he says to God, do not be angry with me. In other words, Lord, don't get upset with me, for you've already shown me this, and it's been a very excellent proof, but don't be angry with me, please, if I, if I test you once more, if I make certain. You know, I heard a message years ago about this, and the preacher um, was pretty hard on Gideon, uh, accusing him of not trusting God the first time. And personally, I don't agree with that analysis of this because God will never, ever chastise us for coming to him as many times as we need to to be certain of his will. He will never do that. I'm reminded of when, um, you remember when uh, Abraham and Lot ran out of pasture 
they were together, they had their flocks together, and they ran out of pasture, and there wasn't enough for, their, for both of their flocks. So they had to split up. And Abraham gave Lot the choice of where he wanted to go, and Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stayed where he was. A while later, the Lord shows up to Abraham. He visits Abraham, and he tells him that he's going to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And do you recall what Abraham's response to that was? He begins to ask the Lord, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of, if there were 45 righteous people there? And of course, we know what he, what he was after. He was interested in Lot and his family, if they would be all right. And the Lord said, no, won't destroy it for the sake of 45. Then Abraham said, uh, Lord, if you bear with me, how about 40? Lord said, no, I won't destroy it for the sake of 40. Then Abraham begins to get very nervous and apologetic, uh, somewhat like Gideon here, in apologizing to the Lord. Lord, I, ju- I just ask you one more time, would you destroy Sodom for the sake of 30? Lord said, no, I won't, I won't, not for the sake of 30, I won't do it. And then Abraham begins, begins to instruct the Lord as to, as to the fact that he just wouldn't do such a thing if there were 30, 40, 45, or even 30 righteous people. Can you imagine that? And the Lord is totally patient with him. He says, no, I won't do it. Then he gets down to 20. Then he finally gets down to 10. And the Lord said, no, I won't destroy destroy Sodom for the sake of 10. And now Abraham is satisfied because he's pretty close to the size of Lot's family. So now he knows Lot's going to be safe. So he inquired of the Lord six or seven times in that passage. That's in Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord is totally patient with him. So twice for Gideon here is nothing for God to have to handle. And he'll handle whatever we, until we're certain of what we're supposed to do, he will bear with us. Um, you know, if, 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 I, if I was God and Abraham was asking me all those times about how many people... I mean, before long, I'd be rolling my eyes, right? I'd be saying, come on, and now you're telling me what, what righteousness is all about and, and, and what I ought to do here? Come on, Abraham, and, uh, but not God. It's a good thing I'm not God because he, he doesn't have those problems. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly Abraham's heart. And that's something we need to take, take to heart ourselves here is the fact that in our weakness and in our stumbling for words that God knows our heart and knows what our struggle is and he'll bear with us as long as we need to, as long as we need to for, uh, for us to be satisfied. And he wants us to be comfortable and satisfied with what he intends to do. Amazing, amazing grace. All right, so um, in verse 7, before we go our chapter 7, but before we go to chapter 7, concerning this issue of does God, is God going to become impatient if you keep asking, uh, do you know David did the same thing? Did the same thing as Gideon. Uh, keep your place here and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel 23.
1 Samuel 23, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David and and David wanted to uh, um, wanted to rescue Keilah. The Philistines were the enemy. So, verse two. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, "Shall I go and attack these Philistines?" And the Lord said to David, "Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah." Now, we could be we could judge David a little bit here, and we could say. That ought to be enough, David. You asked plainly, and he told you plainly. But beginning in in verse 3, let's look at what happens here. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more, then, if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So verse 4, Then David inquired of the Lord once again, And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Same question, same answer. Very important. There's no question now about what the Lord wants to do. Why did David hesitate when the answer was so clear the first time? Well, take a look at verse 3. It says, But but David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more, then, if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And you see, I believe the, re- the reason David asked him a second time is because the first time was so, was so certain, and yet he goes to rally the men, and he would have expected God to have done a work in their hearts to get on board with this and be confident of it, and yet they, they want nothing to do with it. And that drove him to, to go to the Lord again and uh, to make certain. So back, if you'll flip back to uh, Judges chapter 7, And as David was confident with his second uh, inquiry of the Lord, so uh, Gideon was confident as well. And we'll see that here. Chapter 7 of Judges, Judges chapter 7, Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. See, there's no quicker way for us to forget God than to have all the confidence and all the numbers on our side and all the power on our side. And we need to rely on his power. And God wants us to rely on him so that we'll give him the glory. So we'll come back to him the next time. Uh, if, if, we, if, we can, if we can do everything on our own before long, we'd stop coming to God with our problems. So um, uh, he said uh, he doesn't want Israel to claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. 
He had 32,000 men, and now he's got 10,000 left. Now, if that were me, and I wasn't certain of the Lord's will, I'd begin to shake in my boots. How about you? If I wasn't certain of the Lord's will. But Gideon had made certain, didn't he? And you don't hear a peep out of him. You don't hear a complaint. You don't hear an objection. Nothing. This is fine with him because he's certain of God's will. There's nothing like being certain of what God wants you to do and having that conviction. Verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, be, uh, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. So he's going to separate those two based on, on how they're drinking the water. Verse 6, And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people, 9,700, got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Now, I can imagine Gideon is thinking, I'd like to say, hang on to the 9,700. But not a peep out of Gideon. It's the 300 and that's it. And the Lord assures him here, that he will save him and deliver the Midianites into his hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So Gideon now has 300 men to, to go up against this massive army. And we're going to stop there for sake of time, but if you want to do some exciting reading this afternoon, pick it up with verse 8 and find out how the victory was won. And God is simply amazing. All right, in the meantime... While you're thinking about that, um, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. Now, here's another story that I'm sure is familiar to you. You're familiar with Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal and how they made the two altars and how uh, the prophets of Baal could not get their gods to bring fire down to destroy their altar. And then when they were done and Elijah mocked them, you recall that, and Elijah called upon God and down came the fire. They, he had poured buckets of water all over his altar and it licked up the water, licked up the rocks, licked up, licked up everything. And, uh, and then he wound up destroying the prophets of Baal. A, an awesome time uh, for Elijah. Elijah was a man of tremendous faith and a godly man. But he did what most of us have probably done, if not probably will do at some point in our lives. He lost it. Because as we come down to... Um, to chapter 19, after he had done this test with the two altars and had destroyed the prophets of Baal, 
Chapter 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She threatened to kill him. Elijah lost it. Now let's see what's missing here as we go on with this a little bit with this text. Elijah does not pray. He does not wait. He does not stay where he's at as David did, or as Paul did when he was forbidden to go to those two places in Asia Minor. He didn't do what Gideon did and seek the Lord uh, twice in a row to get to be certain of his answer before he moved out. He just absolutely lost it. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to me. And it's not a good place to be. Um, Fortunately, the Lord is gracious and he'll catch up to you and turn you around before you do do damage to yourself. But uh, so... um, Verse 3 of chapter 19, And when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So now he drops the servant off, and now he's all alone. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. What's happened to Elijah? He's depressed. Was Paul depressed over getting stopped on those couple of times he tried to go different places in Asia? He wasn't depressed. He just waited. And the Lord directed him. Was Gideon depressed? I mean, not even when his army was reduced to 300 people. He was confident in what the Lord wanted him to do. Elijah has no basis for confidence in what the Lord wants him to do because he just fled. He just took off. And now he's depressed. Look what he says. He says uh, he prayed that he might die. That's depressed. Extremely depressed. Um, Verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. God had sent him on a journey. This is Elijah's journey. He's on his own, but God knows where he's going to go, and he knows what Elijah's going to do, so he's going to provide. Even in Elijah's disobedience, and just taking off and not waiting upon the Lord or inquiring of the Lord as to what he ought to do about Jezebel's threat, the Lord still provides and sustains him. Amazing. What an amazing God we have. So the the journey is too great. Verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. What, what, what mountain is Horeb? What's the other name? Sinai, where Moses got the law. And apparently that was quite a distance for him to have, from where he was to, for him to go 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 9, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He's trying to justify a bit, isn't he, about his situation? And he's, 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 he's a little afraid, I'm sure, of, of the Lord now inquiring as to what he's doing there because he picked up, picked up from that that he shouldn't be there, I'm sure. So, verse 11, then he said, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So it was when Elijah heard it, or excuse me, verse 12, And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So we have the mountain breaking in pieces, rocks in pieces, strong wind. And uh, then we have this earth, tremendous earthquake, uh, and now we have this fire. All dynamic things. Nothing dynamic happened to Paul when he was seeking uh, the Lord's direction. Nothing that dynamic uh, happened to Gideon because he was certain of the Lord's will. And in both cases, the Lord spoke to them very quietly and very simply. So in verse 12 it says, And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. The Lord is not going to jump up and down and throw things and, and, and yell and shout and scream and have rocks breaking up and fire and, and everything else. He's going to speak to us gently with a still small voice, and we're to listen. We have to, no matter how rattled we may be, we have to listen. We have to be ready to listen. So verse 13, so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's the second time. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness. Notice how the Lord just doesn't even honor that with a, with a response. But he's not going to chastise um, Elijah for it. He knows he's in distress. He knows that, uh, that, that this threat from Jezebel really shook him up. So he's going to, and, and it's very important to see how gentle the Lord is with him here. So verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Now he's giving him his marching orders. Just a still, small voice. Just speaking to him. And then verse 16, And also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Asaphat of Abel, Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So he's, he's given him his assignment now, which Elijah could have picked up from him at the beginning had he stayed put. So this is, the, this is what not to do when you don't know what to do. 
Um, now, I'd like you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, we're, deal- we're talking about uh, Jehoshaphat here. And Jehoshaphat was a king of the southern kingdom. We're in the divided kingdom time period now. Following, you remember after Solomon died, the kingdom was divided. And in the north, we had 19 kings and not a one of them was a good king. They were all wicked. And that King Ahab was one of those, and that's who Elijah was, had to deal with. But Jehoshaphat was one of about seven or eight good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah was another one. There were about seven or eight of them. So um, in First Kings, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, rather, it says, um, it happened after this. Now, in, verse, in chapter 19, uh, Jehoshaphat had instructed, uh, had appointed judges over different sectors to keep righteousness in the camp. He had set it all up so that uh, the, the people would be hearing the law regularly, the word of God, and uh, taking care of, of righteous matters. So after this, chapter 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon And others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, Elijah feared and ran. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Big difference. Set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah And Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, you are not God in heaven, and do you are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Now he's praying to the Lord concerning this. Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and say, So Jehoshaphat is confident of God's nation and that God will protect that nation, and he's rehearsing this before the Lord. And now he takes up the the matter at hand. Verse 10, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir 
whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. This is the way to respond of a crisis, to a crisis. This is the way to handle something. Things, things can combat us that really can jolt us, jolt us right out of our seats. And this is how we need to respond. We need to hold fast, stand fast, and we need to seek the Lord. And the answer will come. Now, verse 13, Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. <clears throat> then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, a, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And that's something we can forget in the heat of, of our problem. The battle is not ours, it's God's. Um, now I want you to skip over to verse, uh, for sake of time, skip over to verse 21. It says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty and, of holiness. And they went out before the army uh, and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Now, here they are singing against the Lord, and I know that's probably reminds you of another situation with Paul and Silas when they were in jail in Philippi. And they were fastened in the stocks, and what did they begin to do? They began to sing. So their enemies were defeated. Now, uh, as we... Uh, Come to a close here. I'd like you to turn to Psalms, the Psalms, Psalm chapter 25. Psalm 25. And Psalm 25, verse 15. And here's the confidence we can have. It says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Now move ahead to Psalm 37. And verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
That's what everyone that we've seen here did, except for the situation with Elijah. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That's great counsel, amen? Tremendous counsel. And finally, Psalm 121. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this this time forth and even forevermore. With a God like that, what do we have to fear? And yet we can get caught up, can't we? It's so easy to lose lose sight and get caught up. And if if we get in a state like Elijah was, we'll find ourselves out of his will, and, and look what happened to Elijah. He wanted to die. He was so depressed. And the Lord does not want that for us. He wants us to trust in him and wait, if we don't know what to do, to just hang tight, and he'll, we'll get our marching orders very shortly.